0: Welcome to 7 Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7 Minute Torah. Hi, everybody. I'm on vacation this week, so I have for you an encore episode of last year's podcast for this week's Parsha, which is Ekev. It's about a topic that remains important and is going to remain important for a while, and that's the environment. Thanks for listening. This week, as we read Parshat Ekev, we get to watch Moses continuing to tell the Israelites about their journey, across the wilderness and toward the promised land. Of course, he's talking right now to the generation that's about to cross over, telling them about what their previous generation had been through. And he spends a fair amount of time in this parsha, reminding them of all the times they aggravated God. In fact, in particular, Moses describes the incident of the golden calf, and then describes how he exhorted God not to destroy the people and to continue in covenant with them. So maybe for that reason, this parsha contains a fair amount of exhortation to the people to follow God's commandments. You hear a fair amount of what sounds like, if you follow my laws, then I will treat you kindly, and if not, watch out. So there's a lot of what we might call reward and punishment theology And this reward and punishment thinking is two things at the same time. Number one, it's a very challenging way to look at the world for many of us as modern Jews. And number two, it's extraordinarily central to Judaism in ways that I'll explain. And in order to explore that, I want to zero in on one paragraph from this Parsha. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 21, and those verses comprise the middle paragraph of the Shema. If you remember last week when we read Va'edchanan, we talked about how the Shema, or at least the beginning of the Shema, comes from that parsha. Well, the second paragraph of the Shema comes from this week's Parsha, Ekev, and it bears explaining or reminding in this moment that the Shema is not a one-liner. The Shema is not just Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, it consists of three paragraphs. The first paragraph being what we call Shema plus Vehavta, that came from last week's Parsha. The second paragraph, which we'll talk about today, being from here, Ekeb. And the third paragraph, which talks about Tzitzit, the fringes on the corners of the Talit, as well as about remembering and keeping God's commandments, comes from back in the Book of Numbers. So the Shema, what we often think of as this central prayer, is not really a prayer. It's actually a recitation. In Hebrew, we say Kriya, which means reading or reciting. It is a daily recitation of three passages from Torah that the rabbis or some ancient authorities believed were extremely central and should be recited every day, several times a day. Now, if you're attending an Orthodox or conservative congregation, or you have an Orthodox or conservative prayer book in front of you, you'll be able to look at the Shema and see these three paragraphs. If you're looking at a Reform prayer book, it'll be a little harder to see because it's often abridged in a certain form to include pretty much the first paragraph plus most of the last paragraph, but the middle paragraph, the one that we're about to read, is not there except in the way it is, and I'll get to that. So I want to read most of this passage for you, about five verses, because it's worth hearing. I want to talk about what it's about, why it's here, why it is in our prayer book, why it's not in our prayer book, and why it might be back in our prayer book. I know that was a lot. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. If then You obey the commandments that I, God, enjoin upon you this day, loving the eternal your God and serving God with all your heart and soul. I will grant the rain for your land in season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in your new grain and wine and oil. I will also provide grass in the fields for all your cattle, and thus you will eat your fill. Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them. For the Eternal's anger will flare up against you, and God will shut up the skies, so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that the Eternal is assigning to you. So the basic theme here is, like I said before, that if you follow God's laws, then God will provide for you. And the providing looks like making sure that there's rain, making sure that there's enough food, making sure that you have enough. And if you don't follow God's laws, then the opposite of all that will happen. No rain, no produce. You won't last in the land that's being given you. So our first research question was, Why was this chosen to be part of the Shema? Why did the rabbis or whoever decide that this should be recited every day? And my sense of it is that this paragraph actually includes a lot of the elements that, as far as the rabbis are concerned, make up Judaism. Specifically, that Judaism is connected with mitzvah, with performing commandments, doing holy acts that are commanded by God. Secondly, that Judaism is connected with breach or covenant, with the idea of being in an ongoing and long-term relationship with God, with responsibilities on each side. And number three, that this paragraph expresses the relationship between the people, land, and God of Israel which, of course, are three very central or basic elements of the Jewish way of life. So you can see how this paragraph expresses a lot of important ideas and that the rabbis would have wanted us to read it every day. But you can also see how challenging it is theologically, because the basic message here is that if something goes wrong, if something bad happens to you, It must have been your fault. It is a punishment from God. God is trying to send you a message that God is displeased with your behavior. And that kind of thinking could be applied really widely. If you get sick, must be God punishing you. If you lose a loved one, must be God letting you know that you've displeased God. If you don't have enough food, if there's not enough rain, if there's a drought, that's God sending you a message. People have really believed this kind of thing throughout history, but it's a bitter pill to swallow. In a world where people do get sick, where people do suffer, it's hard to imagine that everything that goes wrong in our lives is a punishment from God. And that gives us a clue as to why this paragraph was then effectively left out from the Reform Movement's prayer book. And here I'm quoting from Rabbi Dr. Richard Saracen, who wrote a series of notes about the new Reform prayer book, and by new, I mean 16 years old now. He was also my professor of liturgy and rabbinic literature at Hebrew Union College. He writes... Radical reformers in the 19th century viewed this paragraph as both theologically and scientifically problematic, Weather conditions do not respond to human behavior on the one hand, nor does divine providence respond to every human activity in such direct fashion. Thus, this paragraph was omitted from the more radical reform prayer books, including the Union Prayer Book. And for those who grew up reform and remember the Gates of Prayer, the blue prayer book, it was a descendant of that Union prayer book. So the reason that this paragraph was not in the prayer book that you might have grown up with is that radical reformers in the 19th century decided that it didn't properly express their theology, that they didn't believe that weather patterns and bad things happening in the world were the result of God punishing us. Understandable, right? That's not how I think of God, as a source of reward and punishment, as deciding whether to send the rain or whether to make me sick based on whether I follow the commandments properly. And so I understand why this was left out of the prayer book. But there's a counter-argument. And the counter-argument, which you may have been thinking already, is, wait a minute, weather patterns do respond to human behavior. We're living in a world where we're watching the climate change around us, where it turns out that whether the rain falls does have something to do with human behavior, that whether there's enough food, whether the land yields its produce, is connected to the way that we behave in the world. And that can also be applied much more broadly. We have all kinds of agency ...over the quote-unquote bad things that happen to us. The ways that we live, what we put in our bodies, the habits that we form in our lives, the attitudes that we choose... ...these have an effect on how the world treats us, on what happens to us. It's not that you can prevent every instance of suffering or sickness or loss... But to deny agency at all, to excise this paragraph entirely, is, in a sense, to deny responsibility for what we do have agency over. So there's a bit of a fine line here. On the one hand, keeping this paragraph in promotes a theology that sees God as a punisher and that, in a sense, blames victims for what happens to them. But getting rid of it, removing it, is to deny agency and responsibility And so I want to suggest that this paragraph can be read along those lines, that when we look at it, we need not necessarily understand it literally as a message that God is rewarding and punishing you for your fidelity to God, but rather as a message that our actions do have consequences, that there are, in fact, rewards and punishments, or what we might call consequences, in the world. And that's true on an interpersonal level, and it certainly is also true on a climate level. And I'm not the first to have suggested this. In fact, in the Reformed Prayer Book today, there is a poem by Rabbi Richard Levy, which is an interpretive version of this paragraph from the Shema. He writes... If we can serve all that is holy, we shall be doing all that humans can to help the rains to flow, the grasses to be green, the grains to be golden like the sun, and the rivers to be filled with life once more. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that this paragraph is back in the reformed prayer book, but only in a certain form. So what we have here at the end of the day is a reminder of our responsibility. If you behave in certain ways, you bring certain consequences upon yourself and upon the world, for better and for worse. And it's not a one-to-one ratio. We can't go around blaming victims for all the things that happen to them. But neither can we forget our own responsibility to act in ways that will bring the rain, that will bring the yield, that will ensure that there's food for everyone, that will make the world a better place than it is now. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La'asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-MinuteTorah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.